welcome to the Outdoorsman Collective Podcast. I am your host, Joe Ploss, and today's episode is episode one of the show. To kick things off, uh, we have an interview with Derek Verville with Hunt Northeast. I've had the opportunity to spend a good amount of time with Derek over the years, um, in and out of the woods, hunting, fishing, and all the likes. And he brings a lot of the ta- a lot to the table in those regards, and I'm always finding myself learning things from him. And in today's interview, we talked about his background, how he got brought up into hunting and fishing, how he plans to raise his kids in the outdoors, and much more. It's a great conversation to kick off the collective, and I, I hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah, this off-season's been a little grueling, you know, just I... I, I felt like at the end of the season, um, the hunt season, I was I was pretty ready for uh, for a little break. But now I'm getting the itch again. What, what about you? Yeah, I was ready for a break, and uh, without having ice to distract me and get me out ice fishing, uh, this this winter's conditions, you know, um, the itch came a little sooner. So yeah. about a month and a half ago, I was uh, I was already diving back into hunting videos yeah. and, and trail camera pictures and whatnot. So um. You know, for for people who may not know, uh, Derek, he it's we he started up a channel um, a little. How many years ago now was the the Hunt Northeast channel started? Well, it would be roughly five years ago, I would say now. Okay, and uh, so you know, Derek and myself and Dave and Hunter, we've we've kind of been putting together some content um, that you can find on YouTube. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like, it's really cool to be able to record this stuff and, um, relive it and play it, play it back. And, you know, those double sits and stuff like that are a lot of fun up in the tree stand. Yeah. Um, being able to, to relive your experience instead of just think about it and, and talk with somebody about it. You, uh, you, you kind of get that enjoyment all over again. And it's not necessarily just to, you know, film and put it out there for people to see the reason why I started that initially was so that we could relive these experiences true, and, true. and just have something to look back on. Yeah. Um, there was no real intent with it. We didn't start out with a ton of expensive camera equipment. You know, we started out with GoPros and tacticams and stuff like that. And we just wanted to record essentially our, our shots on camera. Um, nothing fancy, no intros like you see and stuff like that. And it slowly adapted into like a, um, you know, a growing, a growing YouTube channel and we we never really had that specific intent but as it uh, as we get better at filming and better editing and gaining a following you know we're kind of gearing it more towards having our own hunting channel on youtube yeah so we we can talk about that a little bit more uh later on but like i wanted to take a step back and uh you know see see where see where a lot of this inspiration came from um, you know, like, hey, where, where did you grow up and how, how did hunting get started for you? So we are pretty much based across Southern Maine. Um, we all generally grew up in the same area as far as, you know, all, all the guys, me, myself, Joe and Hunter and Dave, um, uh, with Hunt Northeast. But me, I grew up in Arundel, um, lived there till Arundel, Maine. Yeah. I, I grew up there until whatever it was, nine, 10 years old. Uh, moved to another town close to Dayton and hunting, trapping, fishing, all that stuff has always been in my family and was, uh, was a part of my life at a young age. So living, you know, where I lived, I had a lot of those opportunities, um, and, and Southern Maine just, you know, slowly, slowly keeps getting more and more built up, more heavily populated, but, uh, you know, the opportunities are still here. I just, uh, you know, like when when i think about it um my when me growing up you know i played a lot of sports and stuff like that in school and like didn't get into hunting until later in life and i mean we're about the same age how how old are you i'll be 32 in 2 weeks okay so you're you're 2 years older than me and um i just feel like you've had comparatively to me so much more outdoors hunting fishing trapping experience than i have so it's just kind of like you know like i'm curious like what like when when did you really start getting involved in like picking up core memories like that um you know i know your dad has obviously a huge influence in that and you know basically just dragging you out into the woods with him (laughs) yeah so i mean 
like I said previously, my my entire family, for the most part, is involved in something outdoor related. Uh, my mother's side of the family, most of them were lobster fishermen, so I spent a lot of time on lobster boats growing up, and and you know, kind of developed that love for the ocean. But going back to more of the outdoors portion instead of just like being out in general, uh, I was started at a, at a young age with my father because my father back in the nineties was huge into trapping. Um, so, I mean, I can remember as young as five years, I think I was five for the first time he let me shoot a coyote in a trap with a, with a 22. But, uh, you know, every fall we, we ran trap lines, Fox, coyote, we, you know, winter, we did beaver, muskrat, otter, um, fall, we did fisher, did a few bobcat sets with them at a young age. And, and that was something up until I was about 10 that, that was every year, you know, skinning in the barn, um, at night running trap lines in the morning. Uh, we pretty much, we pretty much trapped it all. I mean, if, if it was to be trapped in Maine, you know, we were after it and we've even trapped bear, um, with my grandfather, but trapping was pretty much my first real introduction besides, you know, every kid having a 10 pump shooting every thing they could get their sights on at a young age. Um, it's just kind of how I grew up, but so from there I kind of slowly adapted to my dad's buddy bought me a 410 and you know started going out with them guys just you know bird hunting whatever and um when I was 10 years old back then you know you had to be 10 before you could go out deer hunting and by the time I was 10 years old you know I was ready two years prior to that to go deer hunting and you know watching my father come back with with a buck every year and just you know he was always successful always consistent he killed a lot of big deer you know, I couldn't wait to get out and do it for myself and, you know, hell or high water. We were going. It didn't matter if it was zero degrees out and, you know, all the grown men were sitting at a restaurant eating breakfast. We were in the woods uh, to, you know, to the point where you're having a hard time even you, manipulating you and your, your fingers. You and your dad, you're saying. Yeah. Like if ever, if it was poor weather, your dad was still going out and he was bringing you with him. Yeah, we were going and he, uh, in, in the sense of hunting, he um, he definitely, you know, there was, there was no holds barred. It was... Yeah. Hey, we're going. Get dressed. It, he he was not a fair weather hunter. Yeah, and we, he was ruthless with that. But that's what kind of made me, helped make me who I am today as a hunter. You know, it doesn't matter if it's eighty degrees out or if it's negative eight out. You know, if if I get a tag in my pocket, I'm going hunting. And there's a lot of times when everyone's like, "Oh, you're nuts," and they're sitting on the couch, and I'm out in the woods, or even in the off season for that matter. You know, the the bugs are crazy in the summer, and I'm out I'm out in a long sleeve when it's ninety degrees out, fighting the bugs and the temperatures to go hang cameras and find deer. Um, my father raising me around, you know, hunting, trapping, fishing the way he did, and being as hardcore as he was, made me as hardcore as I am today. And that's something that. Uh, you know, hopefully I can take a similar approach with my kids and, and get them interested without running that fine line of, okay, this sucks every time yeah, we go out because yeah, so it's nasty. That, that is something that I kind of wanted to ask you about. You know, I, obviously the way that your dad uh, brought you up with him made you the way that you are, but what are what do you think are things that, like, what are the good things that you're going to bring to your kids that you learned and maybe like, what are some of the things that, that you guys did that, I don't know, maybe like you, I guess you could consider them like the bad, the bad things or the, not as, uh, the things that made you maybe resent what you were doing that, uh, you wouldn't carry over. Like what, what are some of those things? So let's go with the things I wouldn't do first. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when the day comes where I'm bringing my kids hunting, I'm going to put them in a situation where it's not necessarily easy, but I'm going to put them in an area that's concentrated with deer. That way we're at least seeing deer and try to teach them the approach of pick the one you want. Don't just shoot the first thing that comes out. Um, what the, the way I was raised, you know, it wasn't really, we weren't really just burning time to go shoot a deer or a, a certain caliber of deer. It was, Hey, this is brown. You got a tag in your pocket. Shoot it. You're just a kid. Be happy with it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, at a young age, I think you know, getting notches in your belt and getting the experience is is good. You know, seeing what and, happens with a shot. And and on top of that too, I mean, I personally, I feel like, I mean, when when would that have been when you're talking about like what year do you think? <sighs> that would have been. 
well in early days of hunting for me so i would say 2000 area in 2000 okay, yeah. 2001 to so i mean like me personally like i think it's almost kind of like a liberty that we can have now in this in you know 2023 yeah because just the populations are better too you know yeah you know when, when my dad would take me out the main focus was always hey let's go shoot a good buck and uh we, you know we never hunted high deer population you know congested areas yeah where, you were getting out in the big woods yeah we yeah. weren't seeing yeah. we weren't seeing a ton of deer so the minute i saw a deer i was like okay it's time to shoot yep um but i i want to kind of introduce my kids to hunting that way they can develop a love for it by getting them to see a lot of deer and then shooting the one that's getting them excited that's making them happy and then letting them have that experience and, and grasping that love for it like i have um, I spent a lot of time in the woods, you know, I'd sit two, three weeks as a kid without even seeing a deer in the kind of woods we were hunting. And that kind of, you know, sometimes it, it set that boredom in on me. And then honestly, my favorite sits were when my dad would take me to his tree stand, you know, after he had tagged, you know, he'd tag a buck or whatever. And we still had three weeks of the season left. He'd take me to his tree stand and I saw all the big deer he had killed there. So that was like the most, you know, four or five hour sit as a kid is tough but that those sits would blow by because i was excited to be there so i guess something i want to do is keep that excitement in my kids when it comes to hunting um and and make sure that they want to go and make sure that it's not you know brutally cold when we when you know when they're young and they're going they'll they'll experience that in their teenage years but if they start hunting early i don't want them to be out you know sitting in zero degrees with a 15 mile an hour wind or driving rain or or 80 degree heat you know i'm gonna take them out when it's a comfortable sit i'm gonna take them out when we're gonna see some you, deer you gotta you gotta get that you gotta get that hook in you gotta grease the skids yeah <laughs> you, you can't just say hey this is gonna suck maybe we'll kill one i want to say hey let's go have a good time yeah and you gotta, let them you gotta, enjoy it you gotta sink that hook in and then they'll they'll if they if they really do enjoy it they're gonna put themselves through the suffering you know right I and mean, i feel like there you can there can be some exposure of it but Eventually, if they get the desire for it, they'll they'll put in the hard work. So I kind of took that approach with fishing with my daughter. Um, you know, I took her, you know, just worm and bobber like you typically would with a kid. But I took her to where she was going to catch fish and have fun. And you know what? Maybe we go for half hour to an hour and she catches 20 sunfish, but she had a good time. And then, you know, now when I'm like, hey, do you want to go fishing tonight? You know, she she's like, yeah, let's go. And yeah, it might only be half an hour, but half an hour you know she's she's had her fun she's she's got out she's experienced it she's learned more and then it's time to go home and we still got that time versus ah no I don't want to go fishing every time we go we don't catch anything so by doing that it kind of steered my mind at the whole hunting aspect and doing the same thing with hunting one of one of my favorite things um that I every once in a while I, I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts um and one of, one of the things that he brings up every once in a while, and I've, I've reset this many times, is um, it's really cool, and I do this with my niece, niece and nephew because they've gotten into fishing, is uh, just the primal that comes out of little kids when they get a, a fish on the line. Oh, you yeah. see the excitement. They're animals. And like, that, that comes from deep within. Like, that's not something that they learn. That, that's something that it's like genetic because, you know, our ancestors way, you know, way long time ago. I mean, if they, if they got a fish on a line, that meant they got to eat. So right. like it, that's something from deep within and it, and it doesn't matter. You could literally take someone right out of the city and like a kid and bring them fishing and they will get that same excitement. Like it's primal. It's, it's really cool to see. I I've seen it with my niece and nephew and I'm sure you've seen it with Mia. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, my daughter instantly was, was hooked right away. And I was the same way as a kid, you know, my dad and his buddies dug a pond in our backyard. They stocked it with rainbow trout and catfish. And I'll tell you what, every day after school, after summer camp, whatever time of year it was, whether we had ice, I was either on that dock or in the ice shack on the pond and, yeah. and I was fishing all the time. Yeah, I, I think fishing is a great way to get kids involved. Like it, and as a first initial thing yeah it's know. a great introduction yeah, to, outdoors. Yeah, to, to outdoorsmanship and yeah and for me it was uh my my first kind of go-to with with my father was trapping i thought that was the coolest yeah. thing especially with how detailed it is when you're when you're trapping canines you know i thought it was the coolest thing to see how it was done and then you you know you pull into a gravel pit where you got three or four sets and you got three dogs right in a line you can see when you come over the first hill and 
it's just like that rewarding feeling yeah i mean again that that's that's something else that i i feel like fishing is probably easier for anyone to go and do but i mean right. sure like your opportunity to be able to go and and set and go to traps with your with your father i mean yeah that must have been insanely thrilling as a kid and and just just the knowledge to have you know right. i mean i'm sure someday in the future i'll get back into it when i have the time and and the resources to do it but um as for right now you know my my company's young uh, i work for myself and uh i'm busy between two kids you know i'm married and i got a business and and the hobbies of hunting and fishing i don't fish much i mean deer hunting is my passion and i would i would give up everything just to hunt deer but uh you know trapping season kind of conflicts with deer season yep. in, yeah. in, in, in a big way it's really tough to do it all and and i agree i I would always love to start trapping, but it's same thing. Like you can only do so much in the fall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, and, it, and that, and yeah, it, it overlaps on its time. But so, I mean, with, with fall in mind, um, just, uh, just, uh, this is, this is a question that I wrote down for you. Like if you had, if you had one dream hunt, um, doesn't matter the location or whatever, what, what would that look like? What, what is, what is the dream? You got one, you got one that you've been thinking about for a while. Well, there's tons of things I want to do, obviously. Okay. Um, you know, I've always wanted a, I've always wanted to go on a bison hunt. Um, I just think it's a cool animal. They're great eating. Uh, I've always wanted to hunt caribou because, in, in my opinion, it's the best eating game animal I've ever eaten. Uh, elk, of course, because you get to communicate with them, kind of like turkey hunting. Um, as far as the big game goes across the country, I've always wanted to hunt all kinds of different big game. You know, go out west for speed goat like yeah. you did. Yeah stuff like that but um you know turkeys don't interest me much but if i was to put one dream just on, one yeah just pick one on top would be of the next one anything i think spot and stock for one out west on whitetails is insane um being able to see a giant buck from a ways off and have to use your terrain to get to him, even if you're hunting with a gun or, or a bow for that matter i mean a bow would be would be crazy but um that would be up there but i think would take it would be shooting a big heavy mast canadian buck up somewhere in canada just so tracking dark, dark chocolate uh, by any means yeah. whether i'm in a tree stand i'm tracking i'm stalking something you know i mean just something about those bucks you see come out of saskatchewan alberta i mean they're just absolute studs uh, nova scotia holds giants uh, pei holds giants i mean it's just you see these huge, heavy, you know, 260, 270 pound bucks with just beer can mass going all the way to the end of their beams, you know, killed every year. You see them posted, and for me, you know, it's it, I'm geared at whitetail. It's all yeah. about whitetail. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you know, there's there's people that get driven to Maine and New Hampshire and stuff in the big woods in in those states because of that mystery of what could be out there that right. that big giant buck. And yeah, I feel like Canada and like what you're referring to is like the next level above that. Right. What, well, do, you, what do you think? Like that's true. Like in that, in that regard. Yeah. They are just, you know, they're just the old studs. I mean, you look at, look at the deer that, um, Hal Blood and them guys and Rick Labby, they, they all, they all go up to Canada tracking and they shoot some absolute stud deer. And on top of that, you know, like I was just saying, just the, the, the quality of deer that you see coming, I mean, you don't necessarily see it from the public often. Like I don't see a lot of that being posted, but these outfitters, I know these guys are, they're, they're feeding deer and, and whatnot, but that, that gene pool, those genetics up there, they're just way different. You're, they're all heavy horned, heavy bodied, sorry, horn. Yes, I know it's antlers. It's a pet <laughs> peeve of mine as well, but Heavy rack deer and Canada just seems to be full of them chocolate heavy rack deer, big bodies, you know, you see all kinds of deer pushing well, why, that three hundred pound limit. Why why is that do you think? Like why why do they it it can't be it's it's a, it's different comparatively, like when you think of like big antlered bucks, you know, you're gonna think of Midwest, cornfields, stuff like that. Like how do these Canadian bucks get so big and get so heavy heavy antlered? Feed genetics i mean is Temperature. it just is it like is well yeah i know there's like a million things but like do you think it's just like in me personally when i think of like big woods bucks it's it's more of like 
it's the strong ones that survive and that's how they get that big you know so you're not seeing these small caliber bucks because they probably died off right um the big woods bucks guys talk about it quite a bit that there's there's obviously different subspecies of whitetail you know you got all across the board you got the deer down south you know some people call them key deer what have you you got coos out in the um southwest area of the country um and then kind of halfway up maine you know you kind of see a lot of things change the the two and a half three and a half year old deer down here you're seeing 140 to 160 pounds and then once you get above central maine you're seeing you know even if you just follow the snow line that kind of sits at a diagonal up the state you're seeing deer that are three and a half years old 200 220 230 pounds and so on and like the big woods bucks guys say you know they call it i believe the northern borealis strain of a whitetail so um, it actually is different genetics you think from what I've heard from them yeah. guys, I've never really dove into I it. I haven't much. either. I haven't looked into that much. But I mean, it makes sense. You're you're does, talking yeah. that these deer that are fighting these extreme temperatures, deep snow, predation, and all that. You know, you're you're talking, you're talking. These deer got to eat and survive twenty four seven. So they get these huge bodies. You know, they get resilient, and you know, there's just that different that different gene pool where you're seeing heavy rack bucks i mean like just out in the midwest you see you see a lot of bucks that are huge racks but they got no mass yep. but they get tines everywhere yep don't get me wrong there are bucks with a lot of mass and then you come to maine you see a lot of palmation and you know mid-state upstate see a lot of palmation in the racks heavy mass the further north you get towards canada just like you see in canada but the further south you go you know there's not you will there are bucks with mass of course racks can do whatever they please but you know, a lot of the racks down here, you're seeing, uh, you know, thinner racks, but big spreads, long tines, stuff of that nature. You get up north, they're heavier mass, usually no brow tines. I don't know why, but up north is, you know, once in a while you'll, you'll see a buck with some good brows on it. But a lot of the bucks that are killed up north get no brow tines. Yeah. It's just you get those genetics from region to region. It must be something slight that it maybe, maybe it wasn't initially, um, but like over time they began separating genetically you know with that with the and you're probably right it's it's in like the mid-main area somewhere it starts changing yeah i mean and you could you could even compare the same thing down to you know look at south texas look at the racks in south texas right they're completely different than anywhere in the country yep it's just it changes from region to region and canada's always been something that's that i've been drawn to as far as if if you're looking at a heavyweight big racked animal yeah. And in the whitetail world, that's that's where I'd want to go. Yeah, that's that's a that's a like it. A, that's a good one. Like I think uh, there's not a lot of people that would put that as the top of their list. But like I feel like that's an underrated choice <laughs> for yeah. your for your uh, you know favorite hunt right or your uh, your dream hunt basically. And and we also you know we hunt you know around congested areas a lot as well in expanded archery. You know we hunt neighborhoods essentially oh yeah and you know just like the seek one guys do and suburban bow hunter and all them you know down south that's another thing that would be right up there with me is is hunting a super congested area for just a giant whitetail yeah that, i think that, that that in itself is incredibly fun to me you know you kind of experienced that oh, a couple yeah. of years ago I, I love it i think i think it's a blast to be in in that tight area i know and it can get a little weird sometimes you know with, oh, yeah. uh, with people and stuff but when when you when you get to when you get all the stars to line up and you make it happen in an area where when you're in your tree stand you can see what the in, over at the guy's house that's close nearby you can see what's on his big screen TV. Yeah, I, I shot a deer watching <laughs> yeah. a guy's TV one one it's, afternoon. It's just incredible. It's it's such a weird like out of body experience. I feel like to be in the woods hunting deer and it having that experience of literally being able to see what's on the guy's TV next to you. And the amount of deer you see in it's these insane. areas. It's insane. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. You would never think it. And then all of a sudden you look over and, you know, somebody just walked through with, with a family of four and two dogs. They walk through this section of woods where there's a walking trail, you know, that you're 50, 60 yards away from. And then all of a sudden a nice eight point comes walking right across where yep. they just walk down with two dogs yeah, they, and within 20 yards. Of the you. White, white tails, they've adapted so well to urban populations and just congestion like that it's kind of crazy how how some people don't even realize it that they're literally living cohabitively with whitetail in you know their suburban areas (laughs) yeah i mean there's plenty of properties that that i service that uh 
you know, it's house after house after house with nothing but rose bush and stuff in between them, you know, four foot hedges. And there's more deer sign on these properties than there is in the, in the best bedding areas in the best hunting spots that I have. It's just, it's so overrun, uh, you know, on the coast and it's, uh, it's definitely a wild, wild time of the season in the early season, you know, when, when they're in velvet and stuff to be chasing them down through these neighborhoods. And the biggest part of it is, uh, you know, getting permission in areas that way, cause a lot of people do it, but getting permission in areas. So no one else screws you up and, and capitalizing on it. And, you know, we use it as an early season freezer filler. Yeah. You know, we punch yep. as many, you can shoot as many does as you want. So we punch as many doe tags as we can to, to fill the freezer. Yeah. Whenever I talk to any of my other buddies who maybe not hunt as much in Maine or New Hampshire, like my coworkers or whatever, they're always shocked when I tell them that expanded archery is unlimited doe tags. They like yeah. think it's this foreign concept and it's like, it's, they're just a nuisance out there, especially for how tight the population is. Yeah. And you know, people, people ask me quite a bit, you know, oh, what, what'd you shoot last year? And it blows a lot of people's minds when you throw double digits. Yeah. Out. How many deer you've shot? Yeah. 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 And you know, they're, they're like, Oh, how many deer have you killed? And you know, I couldn't, I couldn't exactly put a number on it. I've only been collecting my tag rings since like 2016, but, um, you know, to say just in the last two years, I've, I've shot 20 deer, but yeah. that's across four States. Right you know, and, and putting in a lot of time. And then well, Nantucket last year was, yeah. Was I mean, insane. Nantucket, I put up four. <laughs> yeah. So that was a nice bonus. I shot eight deer last year Yep. and people hear those numbers and they're like, Oh man, you know, that must be, you're doing something right. And that's not always the case. You know, you go to these heavily populated areas where there's a surplus of tags and it's, it's almost not even fair, but it needs to be done. And it's a good way to put meat in the freezer. Yeah. Yeah. The Nantucket experience I feel like is interesting because of exactly that. Like it's, there's just, it, it's almost like a, they just, if it wasn't for hunters, they'd probably have to just come in and eradicate them. Like they'd have to bring in state people to literally just kill the deer off. Yeah. It's like, I mean, the population's like rabbits. It's yeah. just, yeah. it's unreal. Um, Hunter shot the, at the time, um, Hunter sat the stand I was sitting in this past season down there in Nantucket and shot the biggest buck out of our 15 guys in the trip nice eight point um i'm gonna be working on that video here shortly for the channel but uh yeah you know four days and a couple hours of hunting and we put down 37 deer um i shot two bucks two does um and that all that video is going to be on the channel soon yeah there's not a lot of not a lot of killing action in it because it's all you know scrub oak iron brush It's, it's hard to get through you can't really film it and a lot of the times you're you're pushing with shotguns but uh, Hunter shot that buck sitting. I was sitting on the other side um, of the swamp that I set him up on, and I shot a doe um, about 10 minutes prior. That buck blew the trail with a bunch of other does. I actually shot at that buck, but it's just so thick, you know, when you're running buckshot. Um, I hit its antler, but... Yeah, I remember it, you telling me that. Yeah, it was just so thick, you know. I, I just started shouting and made sure that deer... Uh, went down over through the oaks and into the swamp sure enough you know shortly later hunter shot that buck and out of all the deer tagged that week uh the heaviest was 120 and hunter was in second place with 116 pounds but they just don't get big on the island yeah so um yeah on on that same topic of the the videos that are that are on the channel we you the last one that you had put out was our last double set which we doubled up again that was that was a lot of fun that was a great hunt yeah i believe that was successful double number three uh is it three or was it two i think it was three yeah you're right three because the shoulder ones where we both had shoulder bone both of those deer survived yep um that that was a hot we haven't released anything on that but we have trail cam confirmation that both those deer survived it was kind of a uh, peak rut situation, deer running, high alert, uh, buck pushing does around, and and me and Joe both hit. I mean, the dead zone. We we both hit the exact one singular spot on a shoulder bone you don't want to hit. Um, got no penetration, and uh, you know we went back. What was it nine, ten hours later? Yeah, those deer were we still running. Twice. And then this year we got those deer on trail camera. Yep. Um, that buck specifically yep. that we could identify. Yep. Yeah, I put put a photo side by side, and yeah, it's definitely him. So yeah. it's good to see that he survived. Yeah, but uh, that would have been if if we both pulled those shots off, which that was a uh, as far as shoulder bone, that was a first for me. I'm sure it was a first for you. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I 
I've never had that happen to me before. Um, Especially shooting heavy, yep. you know, heavy arrows, high FOC. I yep. mean, I, I was, I was mind blown. Yeah, that was, that was definitely, that was definitely a heartbreaker. That one, uh, I, I, I think about that shot a lot, but you know, it, it is what it is. And that's hunting that you don't always get the perfect shot. Wicked cool video though, that we, that we will probably release at some point. We're hoping that hoping Joe, we get Joe another can, chance at them. Yeah. I'm hoping Joe can close the deal on that buck yeah. eventually on, on film and we can kind of uh, put the story together. That deer will be at least, I would say three and a half this year. Yeah. He was, he was a, a nice, he was a seven pointer when I shot him and hit him in the shoulder, which this, was two seasons ago. Yep. Yeah, this, this year when we confirmed that it was him, he was back as a nine pointer. Yep. Um, so he, he not only has a shoulder injury that he recovered from, but then he had better set of antlers, which yeah, was, which was pretty cool. The year you shot him, his, his G2 came out 90 degrees. Yeah. Um, it was straight a weird rack. rack. Yeah. Yeah. But we got, uh, we got some pretty great footage on that and that would have been double number four out of the same tree, you know, within, within, I think our longest gap was 29 minutes Yeah, um, apart and our closest was 68 seconds, but um yeah that's that's an urban area you know yeah. that, that we have high success high populations and you know we shot i think i believe in one year out of there we shot four yep four does and uh you know they were they were just as thick yeah the place is just wild yeah it's a it's a cool place um definitely a place that we'll be hunting from for years to come absolutely but um so you a little while back you were you were on an episode of steven ranella's podcast um, what was it? The campfire talks? Is that yeah, what? it was, uh, that kind of their web show there they were doing during COVID. Um, and I was on the episode that was about getting kids into the outdoors, which, uh, you can see that portion of that video. Um, just, just the part with me and Steve, cause obviously there was other guests. Um, that portion with me on is on the channel. Um, as we were going through that, I kind of, people kept asking the questions before it got to me that I wanted to ask. And when it got to me, I didn't, I didn't really, you know, it was kind of off the rip. I didn't really know, um, what to ask, but I wanted to ask something. So my question was, um, how do you explain the taking of a life to a kid that you're getting into hunting? That's a good question. Yeah. So wait, how did, how did he respond to that? Um, it was kind of lengthy because obviously the, you, oh, yeah. you know, there's, he, there's some yeah. detail to it. Yeah. But um, pretty much just reading body language and knowing when the time is right. Now, for me, it was like it was kind of just in my nature because I, I grew up around it from like with my kids. My kids have seen deer hanging in the yard since right. they were newborns. Yep. Um, so they get it. I mean, already. So I, I, I don't really have to explain that to them. My dad got pet rabbits for the kids and, you know, I go I go rabbit hunting. I come home with it with a snowshoe hair. And, yeah. And when my, when you bring the kids up that way. And de you can kind of desensitize them to it, you know. Yeah, you know, I come way. I come home with snowshoe hair, and my daughter doesn't think twice about right. it. Right. She yeah. know she knows it's not a pet rabbit. Mm -hmm. Um. So she kind of can differ differentiate on that now. Now it's I got to worry about with my son. But when I you know I brought my buck home last year, the first thing he did was walk up and grab it by the antlers. Yeah. Hold his head up. You well, know. And and again, I think that's one of those things that it's not, it's not a. It's not instincts. It's not genetics to feel that way of like, um, at least initially, of killing is always bad. Um, in in that sense of you know providing for your family and stuff like that. It's when they're only when when kids are grow growing up and their only exposure to animals are like pets and the Disney movies and right. and and that when when they don't have any of the exposure of where their meat that they're eating actually comes from when, you know, they're it's it's coming from a grocery store. They don't make that connection to animals. And so yeah, I mean that's that's what I would think at least. Yeah, so I you know, myself being being raised around at 24/7, you know, we ran coon hounds on raccoons, you know, we tried we we did everything. I was always around, you know, the harvest, the wild game. So it was never anything to me, you know, my dad slaughtering chickens. It was just, right, yeah. that you guys was always, always had farm animals. Yeah. It was yeah. always a way of life. And, um, you know, my kids are kind of seeing that now. So, so they get it. But, um, I'll tell you right now, the, the thing that always bothered me as a kid getting into hunting was when I would wound something. 
Yeah. You know, you're running around with a BB gun as a kid. You shoot a squirrel and you hit it in the backbone and you see it dragging its back legs yeah. and you do everything you can to finish it off. Um, when I was a young kid, you know, that was, uh, I'd say that was the hardest part was seeing something suffer. And I mean, it's still hard today. I, I, right. I hate that situation. Like when you got to let something lay. Yeah. You're like, oh man. And then, and then like, no one likes it. I mean, it, it, you can be the most badass hunter and no one enjoys that situation. Like, I don't care who you are. Well, you know, especially bow hunting. If you, if you got to go up and and you got to slit a deer's throat. Right. You know, no, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, you got to be, you got to be, whether you're a hunter or not, die hard and and you love doing it. You got to be either twisted to enjoy it or you got to (laughs) be. You got to be enjoying it for the sole fact that you're ending it as quick I, as yeah, possible. I, I just, I even feel like even in the most uh, merciful of kills, you know, there's there's a little bit of remorse with every kill, right? Like, you, you, and it's especially if it's like I don't know, you know, a big giant buck or something. Obviously, you're going to be so excited, but you know, you you did just take a life, but knowing that that's going to provide for your family and be the most nutritious meat that you can quite possibly get is wild venison right um it's a part of life you know you got to take life to provide life right and you you especially as a meat eater you know absolutely yeah um you hear people say it a lot um you know on hunting shows and stuff that when you shoot something it's it's bittersweet but try now try following a big buck for two three four seasons and then you finally all that time all that effort all that hard work you know um whether it's your time or financially whatever whatever you put into it i mean chasing down and and figuring out a a single buck takes time and money plain and simple whether whether it's boot you're spending gas to go to go do it you know whatever whatever it is it involves money it involves time and a lot of it um so early season is when we take a step back and it's okay dough missions freezer filling meat in the freezer meat in the there's, freezer there's, yep. there's no that's always mission number one yeah there's no if ands or buts about it in the early season like yeah we do we do hunt bucks early season that you know we follow in the summer and their velvet patterns and stuff like that but you know if a doe steps out there's no oh you know we still get three weeks of the early season let's let's hold off for that buck no it's let's shoot does you know it's, it's always been that way um, and that's how we put the weight down and get some tags filled, but come slowly over. And, the, and that's, you know, we, that's the first mission is providing for our families and putting meat in the freezer. Right. And cause we, we deer meat all year long. Yeah, exactly. We, we have again, like the best quality red meat that you can possibly have in our freezer all year long. And that's the mission number one. And starting my kids on it at a young age was great. Cause oh, they, yeah. they eat it. No questions yep. asked now. Yep. But, um, you know, slowly over, over my life with hunting, you know, I kind of got to that point where I'm like, okay, you know, I got a lot of deer under my belt. I got quite a few bucks under my belt. I got a few big bucks under my belt. So I kind of adapted. Yeah, we, you got, I'm looking behind me right now and there's quite a few antlers on the wall over here. <laughs> yeah. I got quite a few euros up. I got some that were notched over there and then obviously the heads upstairs, but yeah. And uh, all and, those tags hanging off of the gun safe over there. Yeah. And that's only... Like you said, you've been Six doing that years worth. since 2016. You've been collecting yeah. tags. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few there. And that's, that's only, you know, what didn't get cut, you know, sure. whether, yeah. whether I accidentally cut it or a butcher yep. did or. Yeah. Cause know. I, I have a few that I like, I don't have them as nicely hung up as yours cause they got cut. Right. So yeah. You know, you throw a gambrel in the legs and right. it pops the tag, right. or, you know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, so I slowly adapted towards. I know everyone hates the terms. I don't care. Hunt for your own reasons. I slowly adapted towards target bucks. Um, I try to, I, you know, I run trail cameras. I try to find a few, not just one. I try to find a few good, solid bucks. You know, whether it's for Maine, you know, 125 inches or more is is a great buck. Um, I mean, they're all they're all great in my opinion. Hunting, hunting, but uh my standard really that i look for is you know 125 plus i had a couple 140 150 inch deer this year i was chasing um that are still alive they made it and that that is my my passion with hunting now is not so much just hunting them but i get just as much enjoyment in the preseason running cameras seeing what they're doing trying to figure them out and and kind of developing that that 
unsaid relationship between between me and the animal. And then when you finally hit checkmate with a nice with a nice big buck, you know, a three and a half year old plus buck um, with with a good rack on it, it's such a bittersweet moment. Back to that, you know, the hard part about life and death. Um, I mean, yeah, because you've you've that story's been, done. Yeah, you yeah, exactly. You're you're closing you're closing the book on on that animal that you've established a relationship with. Like, you know, the people who say that hunters don't care about animals, like I mean, it it's just not true. Like especially when you can do something like that and have history with this animal uh, playing playing this cat and mouse game, yeah. you know. So, uh 2020, I was um I was playing that that chess game with uh, a buck I nicknamed Matador. The the videos on the Hunt Northeast YouTube channel. Um, 131 inch, 10 point, three and a half year old buck, um, great buck. But you know, I put a lot of time into that deer, and prior to that deer, I put four years into another deer. Um, another kid that lives in the area ended up shooting him. Great buck. Um, happy for him. You know, that's that's how it goes. It's public land. Um, buck of a lifetime for him. Uh, so after that deer was killed, you know, I kind of changed gears and I went back towards this other deer and hunted him hard and kind of used, you know, my knowledge of, you know, I, I talk about it in the video, but my knowledge of the piece and, and pressure from other people where they come, where they access from and put it all together, figured the game out and I shot that deer and yeah, I was stoked. But at the same time, it's like, oh man, time to find another one. Got to find another one, yeah. Time to spend a couple of years figuring this right, one out. Right. And if, if it doesn't get killed after the first season and, you know, that that rolled into last year, I was having a hard season. I did a hanging hunt. I ended up killing a, a nice eight-pointer in a town I haven't hunted in years just, just on a hanging bang. And, um, you know, I forget what he scored, but it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Nice eight-point. Uh, I'm getting him mounted just because the story's awesome. That video as well is on the channel. But, um Again, this year, you know, the, the, the 140, 150 inch bucks I'm chasing, um, you know, the pressure was on, I, I hunt a very, very pressured public piece of land and there was, there had to have been 25, 30 guys there opening day. Yeah. And, um, these bucks, I went from having them pretty well figured out. I mean, you never do. It's a wild animal. You, you're never going to have them pegged, but, but I had them pretty well had, figured out. had a pretty good pattern on them through the summer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the one, the one day I told we were, you, we were I, getting real excited. We we're like, this is going to happen. <laughs> the, the one day I told you tonight's the night I'm going to kill this deer. And then my truck appointment got moved. Yeah. He was there, read the script, yep. per perfect win, yep. accessed from yeah, the Yeah, you got the trail side. camera photos to prove it. Yeah, like, I mean, he broadsided to my tree. He spent five minutes there. It, it would have been the perfect storm, and I, I knew it. I knew that was the night I was going to kill him, and I couldn't be there because I, I had to prep my truck for the mm -hmm. moose hunt that we yep. went on. Yep. But um, I ended up going to hunt somewhere else, and, and sure enough, he showed up that night because the only reason I get to hunt somewhere else is because my buddy that works at the dealership uh, took me hunting while my truck was at the dealer. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy figuring these deer out and it, sometimes it takes a couple of years and it's just, it's fun to pursue them in that way. But once you close that story, that's it. And it's, it's such a bittersweet moment. You're excited, but you're bummed out at the same time. Um, for me, a lot of my excitement comes from watching them grow over the years, figuring them out. And then, you know, that spring when they start growing their rack again, you know, I, I usually wait till end of July to put cameras out. Um, that way you can kind of distinguish which buck is which, but, uh, you're like, Oh, there he is. You know, he made it and coyotes didn't kill him. He didn't get hit by a car. The yeah. you know, snow didn't kill, you know, it's just, it's, it's awesome to see just what they grow into. And, um, in a sense, you're also kind of managing the herd. You're letting these bucks get to a mature age, you know, or you're at least giving them a chance. You're one less hunter. That's going to kill a young buck in a piece of woods that you hunt on public land. I, I mean, I know it doesn't happen often, but I, I just look at the wall of four and a half, five and a half year old deer at my dad's house that he's killed. Yep public land and yep. it's like they don't they don't get to that 200 plus and 140 inch plus size by by you shooting every crotch horn every right. six point that walks out. i right. shot a six point this year but i thought it was an eight point and yep. you know i was having a hard season it was 78 degrees out and again another hanging bang piece i haven't hunted in probably six years and he stepped out you know work had to be done i own a business and i was like i can't keep taking time off of work i shot that deer and i was stoked about it yeah so, you know, these two bucks get to walk another year and I get to chase them another year and it's exciting. So, you know, on, on, on that for, for a hunter in Maine, being able to consistently kill bucks, like even just a buck every year, 
I mean, it's that's a that's an admirable thing, and like you you've been able to consistently do that for a, a while now. Like, what, what do you what do you think is like the the co- core couple of things that you do that enable that to happen in this area? I mean, for one, some people don't kill a deer at all every year, right? Um, yeah, to kill a buck every year, yeah, it is difficult. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say doesn't really come down to um i mean yeah knowledge knowledge is a big portion of it um spending time in the woods is a big portion of it but um i mean you you put boots on the ground more than probably anyone else that i know as far as a deer hunter so that that i would say that that's a big contributing factor above all i would say time in the woods yeah time you you just like anything in life you you put my you know my father this is my father's famous line you're going to get back out of life what you put into it um, and it's very true. You know, I do that with hunting. I, you know, I give it my all and the hard part for me is, is trying to balance home life as well as time in the woods and, oh, yeah. and business. That's, that's difficult yep. because hunting, it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's guys that go out every year, they get a good spot, you know, might be private ground that they might kill a good buck every year. But, uh, all my bucks have come off public land. Um, all of them, every single one of them. Um, and to, to be successful in that sense, it's going to be, even if, even if you have all the knowledge in the world, you have all the time in the world, it's, it's going to come down to being aware of your surroundings, being in the woods and, and putting yourself in the best situation, dedicating the time, knowing when to, and and when not to be there. Um, and, and just trying to stack the deck the best in your odds and uh and making it happen you know being proficient with with your gear and making it happen when the time comes so so on on that same line um this was a question that i wanted to ask you because i think i think it is a big part of your life and you know it's a little bit more of a serious question but i wanted to ask you uh you know from from your own personal choice you 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 are sober you don't drink anymore and um looking from the outside, it seems like that has made such a huge positive impact on your life and, and hunting like specifically. And so like my question to you is like, how do you, how do you think that becoming sober and sobriety has contributed to your hunting success? So like, like we've been talking about at a young age, you know, hunting, fishing, every, everything outdoors related has always been a huge part of my life. But, um, you know, back in my early twenties, when I started drinking, I started drinking heavy and that takes away your motivation to, um, wake up in the morning, you know, to stay out in the afternoon. You want to go party. You want to do this. You want to do that. You want to be drinking, Uh, and that was, that was a big part of my life up until I had kids. And then I sobered up in 2017, um, quit cold Turkey. Haven't had a drop since it's July 10th will make six years. Um, but drinking took out such a crucial part of hunting for me because as you're trying to spread your wings, hunting on your own, you know, you hit that age where you can be alone in the woods and you've got your license and you can dedicate that time, you know, at that point in life, you kind of have the freedoms. You don't have kids. You don't have, you don't have a, a wife. You don't have a house to maintain. You know, all you got to worry about is hunting in a job. And, uh, by taking up drinking and taking it to the extent that I did, you know, it took away hunting because I was always drinking, you know, for that period of time when I, at that, at that, you know, young twenties, you know, late teens, young twenties point in my life, I could have been learning in the woods. So when I sobered up, everyone kind of needs that crutch and hunting and in the woods. I mean, nature's the best therapy you'll ever have, but, uh, hunting consumed my life 110%. Um, it just kind of brought me back to my roots. And that's when I really, really was like relighting my passion for hunting. And I dove in head first and didn't come up for air. Um, and that's, and that's from, again, looking from the outside, that's, that's what I saw. You know, you were, you were, you've always been a good hunter, but it seemed like when you became sober, you just kicked it up another notch. Like, and it, you just became that much better of a hunter and outdoorsman. Yeah. I mean, during sobriety, well, thank you for that to begin with. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, during sobriety, I mean, 
it's crazy. It just it, within two weeks of quitting drinking, what what your mind is capable of. Yep. I mean, I mean, you wake up in the morning clear. You wake up feeling good, and and just just that, I was like, oh oh wow, you know. And right. You your brain works faster. Your brain works. Yeah. You when know? when you don't start your day off in the negative. Yeah. In a fog. And you have to dig yourself out of that hole. Like yeah, you can you can just get going. Yeah. So I mean you know, a lot of things improved for me at that point in time, you know, my, my career did, um, my relationship did a a lot of things did financially. I was doing better. And then, you know, hunting, it just, it, it, uh, hunting helped me through, through that, I would say. And it, like I said, it relit my passion for it and kind of made me the hunter I am today, you know, almost six years later, over the past six years, I've, I've made significant strides as far as hunting goes just at every year. If you're not learning every year in the woods hunting, you're doing something wrong. You should be continuously learning because the the woods, the animals, everything, you know, uh, equipment, everything is always changing. And, um, when I, when I quit drinking, it was just like, there's always something to learn as far as the outdoors. And, you know, my father's always been a hardcore hunter and, you know, we were talking not too long ago and, He's like, yeah, you know, I've always been a hunter. I've always, I've always been excited to go shoot deer and hunt big bucks. He's like, but you, he's like, you are just taking it to a whole nother level. And like you had already said, he's that, you know, I put a ton of, ton of time boots on the ground. Um, that that's good and bad, you know, there's there's times I could be, there's times I could be home and I'm in the woods. Sure. There's times, you know, I could be spending time with the kids. There's times I could be working. Yep um yeah and and that's real yeah that is that is a negative aspect of it i mean there's there's a positive and a negative to everything it's all yeah but um you know i just i'm I'm not trying to you know blow my ego up here but when it comes to hunting i'm just hardcore It's, it's my true passion and if if i could do it every day and get paid for it i probably wouldn't because i i would you know it would take away that that fire you know you think so yeah because when i when I do, would be pretty cool to get paid for it, though. Absolutely, <laughs> but when I, when I'm sitting in the woods, and I can decompress from the real world, that's that's my time to. It's, it's true. To chill. If, if if there was pressure behind it of like I have to, I have to shoot a buck, I have to do this, that, and the other thing while you're in the woods, it it's, would probably ruin the whole thing. It would thing. sap the enjoyment yep. right out of yep. it because you. When you're when you're out there, that's your time. That's your peace and yep. quiet. That that's your time to kind of recalibrate yourself. And um, even even like um, even like I, I I do really love being able to bring the camera gear out there and record and stuff like that. But even that puts a little bit of pressure on you. Oh, absolutely. If, like, have you recently like gone out into the woods with no camera gear and gone on a hunt? All the time. It's magical. <laughs> like, but <laughs> but at the same time, I have never ever let the cameras dictate if I'm going to shoot an animal. That's true. Look yeah. at how many videos are on the channel where I don't get the kill shot. Yep. Because the last thing I'm worried about when I have my target buck in front of me or as if a, you got the shot, a deer of a good caliber. Yeah. Is if, if the camera's on, right. I'm going to make a good shot. Yep. I'm going to tag that deer and we'll worry about the rest later. Yep. I mean, the eight pointer I shot, and it's just a bonus really yeah, yeah it is i mean the eight pointer i shot in 2021 you can see me in the video push the, the main camera right out of the way the gopro yeah. gets the shot you know the video yeah, yeah. video of me yep. shooting uh the matador hunt same yep. thing you know I, I did get footage of him out in the swamp at 300 yards away yeah but when it came time to shoot that camera kicked off my mind wasn't on checking the yep. camera my mind was on pulling that shot yep. off um, the six pointer this year, you know, it just, that was a perfect storm. Yeah. There was a limb in the way, but I still got the shot. Nice crystal clear shot. Um, I got him running away and dying on camera, which was cool because you know, it doesn't always happen that way. I think that's the, that's only the second deer since filming that I've gotten the kill shot on because yeah. the, the high rack seven that I shot with my bow, um, I didn't have time to get the big camera on. It was like, Oh, he's in my shooting lane. And if he takes two more steps, he's That's gone. Right. Yeah. And he was 35 yards out and broadside feeding. Yep. So I kicked the GoPro on and took the shot. Yeah. I got the kill shot, but it's not the best one. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, when it comes to filming, yes, it's, it's great to be able to watch things back. And I'm talking about buck kills. Obviously we got plenty of doe kills on double sits. Well, yeah. And, and the double sit does make it a lot easier, obviously. Yeah. If you but, got, if you got someone to run the camera and someone on the bow, it just makes it that much easier. Almost every time I'm solo filming, my first priority is making that of course, shot and of making course. it count. Yep. Yep. 
but it's um it's just as rewarding to, to wa- watch yourself back you get to see your your highs and lows your reactions you know it's it's great to do yeah and it really is cool and you can go and uh check any of those out on the channel um you know they're they're all up there and we'll be making more of them so yeah i mean there's everything from you know bear hunts some old turkey hunts on there too when yeah. you actually used to go and yeah <laughs> go out and hunt turkeys stupid you and you and, <laughs> you and hunter both have just about sworn off turkeys at this point but there's a couple good ones on there if somebody offered me a thousand bucks a week for the <laughs> for the month of turkey hunting to go hunting i'd tell them keep it <laughs> and i'd burn my turkey license just and i'd wrap my shotgun around a tree yeah i yep. despise everything about <laughs> hunting turkeys in maine on public land it's Uh, tough private private land fine yes hearing hearing them gobble at sunrise and all that and working at working a bird is it's great but when you've been out of set for three hours and you finally got this this big tom working towards you and you know he's starting to starting to come in range and all of a sudden you got two idiots that are sprinting across the field and their (laughs) trucks on the side of the road with their cautions on trying to bum rush a turkey and take a shot and all you're thinking yeah. about is hoping you, they have dental insurance. You, and you just you just put all that work in and then yep. Yeah. Public in. land turkey hunting up 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 here is less than desired for me. That that in mind though, I mean I do have a good private spot with turkeys on it this year, so maybe I'll have to have you come with me because like last year I, I might crochet instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Um la- last year I I'm not the greatest caller, but I, I trying to call and and shoot at the same time is pretty tough and so would probably be beneficial to have another hand (laughs) yeah i'd I'd probably be down to film yeah but um i don't know turkey hunting you know look behind you i mean i've shot plenty of big turkeys Uh, my biggest turkey actually i got i got a turkey with like a nine and a half inch beard mounted in full strut mounts awesome and then a couple right right over my left right here a couple years after that i shot a turkey with like a 12 and 5 8 beard and monster spurs and wicked heavy body and i was like okay that's like that's like shooting uh you know the tennessee tucker buck and then you go out and you shoot a basket rack eight pointer yeah oh damn (laughs) yeah yep not as exciting but i don't know something about turkey just doesn't uh, you see one you've seen them all yeah you know every deer is different shape size that's true yeah. Um, that's like bear hunting, you know, I've killed quite a few bear now. I shot a bear with my bow that's on the channel as well. And that's know, a cool one. That's a cool video. Yeah. Hearing yeah. the roar. Yeah. And, you know, I've never heard that before. It's, 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 it's wild. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, bear hunting. Yeah. I love it. Is it something that I'm going to, that I'm going to die for? No. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, when the day comes, I get drawn for a moose tag. I will go for my grand slam, you know, turkey, deer, sure. moose, yeah. and bear. Yep. So I will at that point, you know, make sure I take everything up and, and do my due diligence to, to try to hit my grand slam because the moose is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing here in Maine. But um, until then, you know, I'm just kind of I'm kind of pegged down on um, whitetail hunting, you know, off-season. You know, I kind of coyote hunt, rabbit hunt, uh, mess around with that stuff pheasant partridge you know we had we had a great time on the moose hunt partridge oh yeah hunting. yeah yeah we shot the shit out of grouse yeah <laughs> that was a lot that was that was a lot of fun i would definitely i'd go back up the allagash just for that yeah i mean it, it's a long drive but we we ate enough ditch chicken there to to look pregnant so <laughs> we were eating it for we were we were skinning them out um you know we're uh, breasting them out rather yeah um by headlamp at night and cooking them and then saving them making ditch chicken sandwiches for lunch yeah that yep. was great yeah but Good so we just did uh we just did an hour what do you think we uh wrap this up yeah um only thing i the only thing i'd like to to leave off with is um keep learning i only touched upon it once but if you're listening to this and you're a hunter always keep your eyes and ears open and uh you know, weed out the bad and take in the good. There's always learning to be done when it comes to anything outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I second that. Plus it's just fun, you know? Yeah. It's, it's much better than sitting on the couch. Just get out there and learn something. It doesn't even have to be hunting, you know, it, anything outdoors. It's good for you. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a great way to stay in shape too. When That's you're true. Out, when you're out scouting and, and hiking terrain and it's, uh, you know, if anything, it made me lose too much weight. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, 
that'll be it for now. See you guys.